Isaiah chapter 40, beginning with verse 12. The word of the Lord reads, Who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand and marked off the heavens with a span? Enclosed the dust of the earth in a measure and weighed the mountains in scale. And in the hills, and the hills, excuse me, in a balance. Verse 13, who has measured the spirit of the Lord or what man shows him his counsel? Whom did he consult and who made him understand? Who taught him the path of justice and taught him knowledge and showed him the way of understanding? Behold, the nations are like a drop from a bucket and are accounted as the dust on the scales. Behold, he takes up the coastlands like fine dust. Verse 16, Lebanon would not suffice for fuel, nor are its beasts enough for a burnt offering. All the nations are as nothing before him. They are accounted by him as less than nothing and emptiness. To whom then will you liken God, or what likeness compare with him? An idol? A craftsman casts it, and a goldsmith overlays it with gold and casts it for silver chains. He who is too impoverished for an offering chooses wood that will not rot. He seeks out a skillful craftsman who to set up an idol that will not move. Do you not know? Do you not hear? Has it not been told from the beginning? Have you not understood from the foundations of the earth? It is He who sits above the circle of the earth and its inhabitants are like grasshoppers who stretches out the heavens like a curtain and spreads them like a tent to dwell in. Who brings princes to nothing and makes the rulers of the earth an emptiness? Scarcely they are planted, scarcely sown. Scarcely has their stem taken root in the earth and when He blows on them, and they wither, and the tempest carries them off like stubble. To whom then will you compare me that I should be like him, says the Holy One. Verse 26, lift up your eyes on high and see who created these. He who brings out their host by number, calling them by name, by the greatness of his might, and because he is strong in power, not one is missing. May God add a blessing to the reading of His Word. Would you pray with me? Father, we ask that in the next few moments that we have together that You would speak to our hearts, that You would illuminate this text that we've read, that it would make an impact on us today, that in some way it might change who we are and what we do and how we serve You. We ask all of this in the name of Your Son and our Savior. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. In his book, Isaiah, God Saves Sinners, Arkent Hughes says that there are two idols that dominate the world that we live in today. And that idea, that thought struck me, so I read further, what are those two idols? And he says the first is secularism. He says this is a big idol. It's enormous. It's making man the measure of all things. It reduces God to an object of, of sentimental indulgence. Puts us in charge. We're the boss. 
And he goes on to write, the second one is alternative spiritualities, other religions, other spiritualities. And he says that this is a much smaller idol, but a very, very influential one. And he compares the two and he, and he calls them secularism and superstition. And that's basically what it amounts to. Author David Wells describes the church of our time as a place where God is weightless. A weightless God. What does that mean? What does that make Him? Well, to make Him weightless is to strip Him of His glory. To strip Him of, of, of everything that makes Him who He is. It creates a God that has little or no impact on our lives as Christians. But back to R. Kent Hughes. He asked this question, and I want to ask it this morning. He says... If our churches are not wonderfully heavy with the felt presence of God, is God being glorified? If our churches are not wonderfully heavy with the felt presence of God, is God being glorified? I ask you that question this morning. Are we sensing His presence in our corporate worship as we come together on Sunday mornings and Wednesday evenings and as we do what we do as the church? Are we sensing His presence in our individual lives as we, as we seek to live out our faith, as we interact with our family and co-workers and friends? Do we sense God's presence? I would say to you this morning that if your answer is no, maybe we need to rediscover His glory. Maybe we need to rediscover the presence of God. And the blame isn't always on the congregation. I would venture to say this morning that many times maybe it's the pastor's fault. Maybe there are ministers across this country who are not preaching what they need to be preaching. Maybe their subject matter has changed. As I've grown in church and in ministry, I have seen fads come and go, but I've also seen a lot of preaching no longer focusing on who it needs to focus on. It, it tends to focus on us. It tends to focus on those of us in the pew. It tends to focus on our lives, our mistakes, what we can do, and not focus on the one who can do it all. Charles Meisner is, a, is an American physicist, and he once commented on Albert Einstein, the fact that Albert Einstein had very low views of organized religion. And he said this, I want to share it with you this morning. He said, the design of the universe is very magnificent and shouldn't be taken for granted. In fact, I believe that is the reason why Einstein had so little use for organized religion. He must have looked at what the preachers said about God and felt that they were blaspheming. He had seen so much more majesty than they had ever imagined and they were just not talking about the real thing. God help me that I would talk about the real thing. And that as I teach and preach and, and expound this word, this beautiful gift that He has given, that we would all sense His glory, that we would sense His presence in our services and in our individual lives as well. I want you to know His presence. I want you to know His glory and feel that in your lives. And oftentimes that begins right here. In Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 19, Paul was writing to the church at Ephesus. And he was asking them to pray. And he said, pray also for me that my words may be given to me. 
in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel. That should be every pastor's prayer. Every preacher who fills a pulpit, every evangelist, every Sunday school teacher, every leader in the church, Lord, give me your words. Fill my mouth with your wisdom. That should be our desire. St. Augustine was a great founder of the early church, a father in the early church, and he wrote many beautiful prayers that have been passed down through the, through the centuries. And in one particular one, he wrote, O God most high, most good, most powerful, most tender-hearted and most just, most remote and most present, most beautiful, most vigorous, stable and ungraspable, unchanging, yet all changing all things, never new yet never old, renewing all things. And what have we said, my God? my life, my holy delight? Or what can anyone say when he speaks of you? And alas, for those who are silent about you. May we never be silent about our God. May we never be silent about our Creator. We come to church and we sing, How great Thou art! Then sings my soul, my Savior, God to Thee. But... Are our lives and our deeds and our words reflecting His glory, His greatness, His majesty? In the portion of Isaiah 40 that we studied together last week, God promised to come to us in all of His glory, His glory being His presence with us and in us and through us. Just as He did for the people of Jerusalem to to whom this passage was written, He can overcome the obstacles in our world. Whatever you're facing, whatever you're going through, you serve a God who is bigger than anything that you could ever go through, than anything you could ever imagine. Last week I ended with this encouragement. I said you can trust God. Even more than you can trust Himself, you can trust Him absolutely and completely. But this morning I'd ask the question, why or how? How do we know that we can trust God? Why do we, do we have this assurance? Isaiah's answer to the people of Judah echoes what the psalmist wrote in Psalm 115 in verse 13. He said, Our God is in the heavens and He does as He pleases. There's a beautiful answer, a simple answer to this question because He's God and we're not. He is God. This morning, I want us to think about this. I want us to, to think about our view of God. How big is God to you? I asked you that question last week, but I want us to really do some soul searching. How big is your God? There are several things that I see in this passage of Scripture that I want to share with you, and I need to move quickly. And uh, I've had a propensity lately for, for dragging it out a little bit. I apologize. Normally we get out early, but um, we'll, we'll, we'll see what happens. <laughs> the first thing that I see this morning that I want to share with you that I see in this passage is verse number 12. He's a wise creator. He's a wise creator. Look with me at that verse, verse 12. Isaiah writes, Who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand and marked off the heavens with a span? Enclosed the dust of the earth in a measure and weighed the mountains and scales and the hills in a balance. Isaiah is asking a question here and he's basically saying, Who else but God? can weigh it and measure it and determine it with perfect precision, with perfect ease. 
You know, to us that would be a massive undertaking. To us that is something that is unimaginable, but to the God that we serve who created this world that we live in, it's just an easy day at the office. And isn't it good to know that the God that you serve is the God who created, is the God who spoke things into existence. He has all the information. He has all the knowledge. Look with me at verse 13 in Isaiah chapter 40. Who has measured the Spirit of the Lord? Or what man shows him his counsel? Whom did he consult and who made him understand? Who taught him the path of justice and taught him knowledge and showed him the way of understanding? That was a rhetorical question because Isaiah knew the answer is no one. He is God, we are not. One preacher said that when God created everything, He needed nothing. I like that. When God created everything, He needed nothing. He spoke and it happened. All the ideas were His. All the wisdom was His. He is a wise Creator. And that's the God that you serve. And He keeps His promises. He is able to keep His promises to us because He is the wise Creator. Continuing on, number two, He's able to keep His promises to us because He's an immense Lord. He's an immense Lord. Look with me at Scripture once again to verse 15. Isaiah writes, Behold, the nations are like a drop from a bucket and are accounted as the dust on the scales. Behold, He takes up the, the coastlands like fine dust. You know I'm a gardener. I, I've talked about it a couple of times. I like to try to grow things. Sometimes it works out, sometimes it doesn't. And uh, oftentimes, and I haven't, I've been kind of slack this year, I'm not going to lie. But uh, oftentimes, three or four times a week, I'll take my bucket out and I'll go water the garden because I don't have a hose long enough to, to reach out there. It's pretty far back. And I uh, don't have any water hooked up out there, so I'll get my buckets and I'll go water the garden. And uh, oftentimes, and Gracie likes to help me, and she'll get her little bucket and she'll, by the time we get there, she's got no water left. <laughs> But as is often the case, you know, I'll kick it with my leg. Some water will splash out. Do you think that just because that happened that I turn around and I go back and I refill that water bucket? No. <laughs> what I have there is good enough to continue on my journey. That one little drop didn't matter. And that's what Scripture says about our God. Ultimately, the governments and the nations, the leaders of this world don't matter to God. Because He's God. That doesn't mean that nations are worthless. That doesn't mean that leaders and, and rulers and uh, the people of these, these nations aren't important to God. He loves us. But what we have to understand and what those nations and leaders and rulers need to understand is they derive their worth from God. He is Lord. And just because we choose not to recognize that fact, and we, we, we live in a country where not all of our leaders do that, there are other countries that outright reject God, reject His kingdom. And just because they don't recognize Him doesn't make it any less so. They're a drop in the bucket to God. He's an immense Lord and His plans are His plans. And He has no trouble whatsoever governing this world. Notice verse 16 with me. Lebanon would not suffice for fuel nor are its beasts enough for a burnt offering. What does that mean? Well, Lebanon in that day was famous for its cedar, for its cedar forests. And that was uh, chopped down and used to build. And it was beautiful wood. It was famous for that. 
So in this passage of Scripture, Isaiah is, is, is mentioning something that the people will identify with. And he's saying, if you chop down all the trees in Lebanon, and you built an altar with all of that wood, and then you took every beast in that country, and you laid it out there, and you offered it as a sacrifice to God, it would not be good enough. He's an immense Lord. In 1 Kings chapter 8 and verse 27, Solomon is dedicating the temple. And in his prayer he says these words, he says, Behold, heaven and the highest heaven cannot contain you, how much less this house that we've built. You know, a lot of times we have this idea that God is here. And that's true. God is here. But this isn't the only place that He is. I think back to earlier in my ministry, a church that I was at, and there was one particular usher who, who reverenced the sanctuary. And I mean, he, he really reverenced the sanctuary, so much so that he may have taken it overboard and he may have actually worshipped the sanctuary, but we won't go there. But I remember him always getting on people for, for coming in looking sloppy or having a hat on their head, and not even into the sanctuary, just into the church building. They'd walk into the, you know, maybe someone was out doing some work at the church. Church wasn't even going on, and he would be getting on people because they were coming into the building looking sloppy or having a hat on. And he'd always talk about this is the house of God, this is the house of God. And that is true. This is God's house. But sometimes we treat it like it's the only place He is. He's an immense Lord. Heaven cannot contain Him. These houses, these sanctuaries, these temples that we build, these, these offerings to God cannot contain Him. We cannot put Him in a box. He's an immense Lord. And I'm so glad this morning to know that I serve that God. That He's an immense, He's bigger than anything I can imagine. He's a big God. Continuing on, notice with me verse 17. Verse 17 says this, it says, All the nations are as nothing before Him. They are accounted by Him as less than nothing and emptiness. He's Lord. And as I said a moment ago, Though we oppose Him, though our nations and our people may oppose Him, He is still Lord. When we begin to see God through His eyes, through His lens, and we stop looking at Him through our finite eyes, when we, when we look at Him that way as an immense Lord, as a wise Creator, then we'll see His promises as more real. We'll trust Him more. Thirdly, and I'll move through this quickly. God is able to keep His promises to us because He's the only God. He's the only God. Verse 18, read with me. It says, To whom then will you liken God, or what likeness compare with Him? The answer again, Isaiah is asking another rhetorical question. You can't liken Him to anyone. He's God. We can't put God in our little box. He's unique. He's beyond our categories. And He deserves our trust. Verse 19. An idol? Would you compare God to an idol? A craftsman casts it. And a goldsmith overlays it with gold and casts it for silver chains. He who is too impoverished for an offering chooses wood that will not rot. He seeks out a skillful craftsman to set up an idol that will not move. Isaiah saying, please, you want to compare my God to an idol? You want to, compare, you want to reduce Him down 
to something that He created, you can't do that. There's a greater principle here though. Our sense of worth must never come from something within creation. It must come from the Creator. He's an immense Lord. He's, a only, he's the only God. Fourthly, He's the active Lord. Look at verse 21. He's an active Lord. Do you not know? Do you not hear? Has it not been told you from the beginning? Have you not understood from the foundations of the earth? Isaiah is arguing with the reader here because while we've heard it, we don't always live in light of it. We don't always allow it to change us, to make an impact like it should. He continues on in verse 22. It is He who sits above the circle of the earth, and its inhabitants are like grasshoppers, who stretches out the heavens like a curtain and spreads them like a tent to dwell in. One of our own can't save us. Only a holy God can. Only a holy and righteous and active Lord can save us. He's a watchful creator. He's a watchful creator. Look at verse 25. To whom then will you compare me? That I should be like him, says the Holy One. Lift up your eyes on high and see who created these, who brings out their host by number, calling them by name. By the greatness of His might and because He is strong in power, not one is missing. What do I mean that He's a watchful Creator? Well, quick side note and we'll begin to close here. The Babylonians who were Judah's captors at this time that Isaiah was writing this message, they were astrologers. And they believed that the stars were guiding the destinies of men. And they looked to the stars to tell the future, to see what was going to happen. They thought the stars were calling the shots, but God was calling the shots for the stars. You know, I've often been amazed at the number of Christian people, church people, who place a certain amount of faith and trust in astrology. I won't take it any further than that, but um, I find it ridiculous. Why would you look to the stars when God created the stars? Why wouldn't you look to the watchful Creator, the One who spoke these things into existence, the One who controls the stars? Your destiny is in Him. Your life is in Him. He's a watchful Creator. Isaiah wrote this passage to a group of people who were not unlike ourselves. They weren't very different from us. They may have spoken the right words, but they really didn't believe everything that God had said. They really didn't allow it to impact them and change them. And they had gotten away from God's glory. They had gotten away from God's presence. They didn't have that faith that Scripture teaches that overcomes the world. We're looking at God through their finite eyes and not through His lens, not through His infinite wisdom. I'll ask you again, how big is God to you? How big is the God that you serve? Do you see Him in His glory? Do you see Him in His majesty and His greatness? Because if not, He's inviting each and every one of us to. He wants us in a relationship. He wants us to experience His presence. He wants us to experience His glory in our lives. R. Kent Hughes said that we're dwarfed by creation. But creation is dwarfed by God. 
We are dwarfed by creation, but creation is dwarfed by God. See Him as He is. He's a wise creator. The ideas were His. The knowledge was all His. He didn't need anybody's help. He's an immense Lord. He's bigger than anything you could ever imagine. We cannot contain Him. He is the only God, the only Creator. He's an active Lord. He's actively involved in our world, in our lives. And He's a watchful Creator. He's watching over us. He's watching over His creation and His presence and His glory is here with us. My prayer and my encouragement this morning is, God, forgive us of the sin of diminishing You in our thoughts and minds. See Him as He is, a big God, bigger than your problems, bigger than your challenges, and You can experience His glory. Let's pray. Dear God, as we've already prayed, forgive us of the sin of diminishing You, of not seeing You in Your might and Your power and Your glory. You created all things. You know all things. You have power over all things. You're moving the pieces in this world. You're controlling things behind the scene. You are God and we are not. So Father, this morning may we see You as the big God that You are. A wise Creator. An immense Lord. Bigger than anything. The only God. A God who is active, who doesn't need the approval of, of the President of the United States or the Queen of England or the Premier of China. You're an active Lord. You're moving the pieces into place. And you're a watchful Creator. You have the stars of the sky numbered. And you've got them named as well. So why should we worry? Why should we fear? Because Scripture teaches that the very hairs on our head are numbered by You. You are our Creator. You created us. The problems that we face in this world around us, You are bigger than all of them. We serve a big God. Father, change our view of You. May we see You in all of Your majesty, all of Your greatness. And Father, may that be our assurance. It's in Jesus' precious and holy name we pray and ask all of these things. Amen. And amen. If you'd stand with me this morning, and as we prepare to leave, we're going to sing together a beautiful old chorus, number 276, that simply just says, Turn your eyes upon Jesus. And I invite you this morning to do just that. To see Him as who He is, how big He is. Turn your eyes to Him.